Welcome to Engage Boise. We hope that you enjoy this live recording of our Sunday service. Today we're going to go in a different direction uh, than I told you last week. I said last week we were going to finish the story of Joseph. We're going to do that next week. Uh, I postponed it because I know next week is Labor Day weekend. Just going to give you a reason to come to church on Labor Day weekend, catch the video online or whatever you want to do. reason I switched it is because this message, which I was going to do next week, has a lot to do with the direction of our church in uh, 2023, 24. And I knew many of you were going to be gone next week. I mentioned to you last week, uh, Zach, who led worship for us today. This is last week with us today. Zach did an awesome job this summer. Thank you so much. Yeah, give Zach a big hand. He's such a huge blessing. <clears throat> uh, one of my closest friends has uh, uh, the best interests of our church at heart. They're headed back to their home church starting next week. Uh, so grateful for him and his wife, Lauren, lended us their talents and their time. And we'll see him again, just not on a regular basis. Uh, as far as someone to lead worship every week, I will tell you this. I'm, like, calling every contact I can find. Uh, I'm shaking every tree that can be shaken. Uh, metaphorically, there's, I know there's no worship leaders in trees that I know of, but posting on every website, every Facebook group, talking to everybody I can, uh, all since the beginning of June. And uh, God has not brought the right person yet. And I say yet because I know it's just a, a matter of God's perfect timing because that's the way it works. Uh, in the meantime, I'll probably handle it a lot of time. Uh, it's not my first choice to do both because the speaking and the leading worship is pretty taxing and a lot to do, but it's also my honor to do it for as long as I need to uh, because, uh, man, singing uh, and leading in worship, even if it's just playing and having other people sing, man, that is uh, such an honor. So in the meantime, I'll help develop our worship team. The search will continue, and the Lord is going to bring the right person at exactly the right time. It, it might be next week for all I know. Uh, all I know is I have to do what God has put in front of us, and the Lord will continue to be here. Amen? In the meantime, you're going to see probably some new faces helping out, lean on some other leaders to speak when we need to, and I know God has it under control. My wife and I have this saying. Uh, she says a little more than me, and that is you can do anything for a little while. She's a CPA, and so she does tax season every year, and that's what she says at the beginning of it. You can do anything for a little while. Just my turn to do lots of stuff for a little bit, so it's fine. Uh, on to what we're talking about today. We're talking simply about who we are. Who we are is Engage Boise. Who we are is this church. Um, you know, it's really funny when you talk about a certain person or a certain group, there's just like surface observations that everybody seems to know, right? Of course, people and groups are always more than whatever your surface observation is. We know that. But just as an example, there's Manasseh, who usually is here. He's not here today. Manasseh, though, you know Manasseh. He's a tall guy. He's got lots of hair, right? If you know Manasseh, tall guy. Seriously, when I try to explain to people who have been here one time who Manasseh is, they're like, who's Manasseh? I was like, he's tall. And then it's like the blonde. And they're like, oh, yeah, I know who Manasseh is. And if you describe me, it's the opposite. Short guy, no hair, right? It's the complete opposite of that. You just, you know who we are, right, by those surface observations. Uh, when it comes to our church, you've heard us say over and over again, you see it out there on the little shelf out there, we'll keep saying it, that we believe if we love the family, we can change the world. Our family at home and the family of God, and that means there is not anyone who is excluded, because when we know God, we are his children. We are brothers and sisters in Christ when we know God. And that's the overarching theme, you're going to continue to hear that all the time. But God put this scripture uh, we're going to talk about today on my heart quite a while ago. When it comes to our church, Romans 12, 9 through 13. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We're going to look at it today. Uh, we're going to read together in a minute. Uh, 
I love what the scripture headings say, though. You know, different Bibles have different uh, little headings. Uh, the NIV just simply says, I believe, love in action. New King James says, behave like a Christian. You know, a little bit of a, a two-by-four to the face. Behave like a Christian. I like what ESV says, marks of a true Christian. These things we're going to read are marks of a true Christian. So just a short passage today, Romans 12, 9 through 13. It says this. I'm reading out of the NIVT today. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. See, I really believe this scripture really personifies what our church is, what it will continue to be. And this morning we're talking about as, uh, uh, as we move forward in the life of our church and we look to love the family and thereby change the world. We have to decide every day, every week, who we are. Now, if there's one thing that uh, has come up over and over again when it comes to this church, hopefully if you're new, you experience it today. People come in here and they say, man, it feels good there. I say, oh, it feels good. It's friendly. We had a, a teenager say recently, everyone's so nice there. So good job. You made a teenager say you were nice. That's, a, that's not easy to do. <laughs> And it was ex- our experience when we showed up almost two years ago. It's continued to be this way. And it's just a testament to all of you, just how brightly you allow the love of Jesus to shine in you. A testament to our former pastors, Pastor Tim and Debbie Bridgewater, who we honor. They love people really well. They showed you how to love people really well, those of you who are here. And oftentimes, people, though, will say a place feels like we're talking about because of the size. And I have to tell you, I've heard this from people when there's like 50 people here. And I heard it this past Easter when there was 150 people here. I even heard it at Glow and Treat, which is our, our Halloween uh, trunk or treat we do, uh, when there were who knows how many people here, 800 people out here on that day. It's crazy. So many people I talked to said, man, it's so friendly here. It feels so good here. So I would submit to you today that it's actually not the size. It's not 50, 150, 800, whatever. It's not the size. But what people sense here when they walk in the door is this thing called community. That's what we have here. I believe that people feel that community. And the reason they feel it is because we are marked by a love that is only found in Jesus. You see, when people come here, as soon as they come in, whether they are previously known to us or not, they sense immediately, just intrinsically, that somebody cares for them. And I don't believe it's the number of people or the strength of the coffee or the donut holes. Everything contributes. I mean, my daughter, Christina, who played bass day, she brought me Dutch Bros, had a little Red Bull in it, so that makes me feel the Lord's presence a little better, of course. If you ever go to Dutch Bros, try this thing called a Wookiee Spice. It'll change your life. It's, it's really good, I promise. <laughs> but I don't believe it's any of that stuff. It's because of Jesus inside of us. When people say it feels good, that's what they mean. So the question is, how do we keep that community that we feel here? I believe, and I've seen it in many different places. You can keep the feel of community at a church uh, no matter your size. It takes work for sure. It takes some intentionality on our part. And here's the reason I know this is true, because in my, shoot, I'm 43 years old. My 43 years of going to church, because that's about how it's been, uh, 
I know this is true because I have been to tiny, tiny, tiny churches in tiny, tiny towns uh, with zero community. You walk in, and uh, if your name's Betsy, I don't think we have any Betsy's here. This is just the example that I picked. You walk in, and Betsy's like, don't you sit in my chair. I've got this hymnal I've had for 50 years, and you'll get it upside your head if you sit in my chair. And I've been to much, much bigger churches than ours where you walk in and you're like, wow, look at this place. It's like a concert in here. But man, it feels good in there. It's because there's community in the place, because they're intentional about it. I believe the way you find that community, the way you keep it, is contained in that scripture that we just read. And the way that we're going to put it into practice as a church is we're going to launch, or in some cases just formalize, what we're going to call community groups. We've called them small groups, life groups, whatever. We're going to call them community groups. You see that little slogan there, life is better together. And that is how we will continue as Engage Boise, uh, no matter what, to be community, no matter the size. I'm not just talking about sizes. I'm talking about a community that endures throughout changing life situations, pandemics, political upheaval. That's just the last five years that I can think of, right? (laughs) And Romans, if you go read Romans, man, Paul has a lot to say about who we are as believers in Christ. You see Paul, uh, formerly Saul, he was writing to a church that could have been much like ours in Rome. It was full of both Jews and Gentiles, radically different kinds of people. Rome was, of course, full of Gentiles, but Acts 2.10 tells us on the day of Pentecost that uh, visitors from Rome were present on that day, and then they took what they felt and heard and learned and experienced back to Rome. Presumably, they took that back to their house churches in Rome. And they are trying, while surrounded everywhere by unbelievers, to come together and live for Christ. It kind of sounds like what we try and do, right? And these things uh, that we're going to unpack in the scripture, they're true in our gatherings every Wednesday and Sunday. They're going to be true in our groups. Some of these groups are already meeting, and you'll just hear about them a little more, a little better. You see, the way we keep community all the time is we recreate it outside of Sunday mornings. We make it so it doesn't only happen in this place from 1030 to 12 or however long we're here. But people seeing the gospel in action outside this place. What I love about this church is you come here and you see the gospel in action. Gospel means good news, and you see it and you feel it here. But we got to recreate it outside of this day. This passage in Romans is kind of our roadmap as we move forward. Look at verse 9 with me really quick today. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. We said earlier that we're marked by a love that only comes from Jesus. And in our church, our lives, and our groups... The love that Jesus marks us with is sincere. Not only that, but we have to remember what Jesus told us, John 13, 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you agree with everyone about everything. Doesn't say that, right? If you love one another. You see, believers and non-believers alike, we're all looking for the same thing uh, that in New Testament in Rome they were looking for. They're looking for sincerity. They're looking for someone that was sincere, with a sincere heart. Now, make no mistake, church, that love that Jesus was speaking about, John 13, 35, that's what people feel when they walk in here. And our goal is simply that same love that Jesus talks about in Romans 13, in here, Romans 12, it defines us. We are marked by it. When people see us, 
they know those people have a sincere love for Jesus. And it doesn't only happen in our services, but it happens on Wednesday nights, in our groups, wherever we are. And sincerity uh, is not always easy. Uh, well, the thing about sincerity, it's not always easy and it's impossible to fake. Not always easy, impossible to fake. Now, sincerity, the reason it's not always easy is mostly because of our own heart and doesn't have anything to do with anybody else. It has a lot to do with whether I am able to accept someone just as Christ accepts me, no matter what. And it doesn't have much to do with what they have going on. You don't have to be best friends with everyone, but we can be sincere in all we do. And you can try and fake your way through it, but it will not be long before people see through us. If you're trying to be sincere and fake your way through it, people will see through us. I've found that young people are really good at seeing through fake sincerity, even down to the youngest of kids. Ever seen that with young kids, right? Someone's trying to impress them or get them to like them, and they just see right through it. They're like, I'm not giving you the time of day. Just at the most basic level. If we say to someone when they come here, hey, we are so glad you are here about our church or our home or our group, but we don't actually mean it, they're going to know pretty quickly by the actions we take if we meant what we said. If we say to a family, just for example, when they come to our church, hey, we're so glad you're here. We love that you brought your whole family. We're so glad for, that you brought your, your family and your kids, but we provide nothing for their kids and we have no intention to, then our words are not lining up with what we said, right? And that's the definition of being insincere. Fortunately for us, Paul gives us a roadmap of how to be sincere over these next several verses, starting in this very next line. This is loaded. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. It sounds so simple if you just look at those nine words, right? Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. It sounds so simple. Yeah, I'll just read the Bible. I'll hate what it says is bad, and I'll love what it says is good, and that's the end of the story. That's all I'm going to do. And there are absolutely, positively black and white issues all over the Bible. You can start with the Ten Commandments in Exodus. You know, we, sometimes we tend to overlook the Old Testament a little bit. But if we all just took those Ten Commandments and we lived by them, it would go pretty well. Jesus reaffirmed all the Ten Commandments in the New Testament. You can go ahead and read Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. I think I have it on the screen for you. I'm going to read it to you the NIV today. Uh, you can go ahead and read this. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness he pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Six things the Lord hates, seven he detests. If you're going to hate what is evil, it's a good place to start. It's quite a bit wrapped up in those few verses. If we're honest, most of that, a lot of that hits pretty close to home for us who are believers, maybe closer to home than we'd like to admit sometimes. <laughs> we can also stand as believers on Galatians 5, and 23, right? If you're going to say, well, these things are what you should not do, here's what you should do. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I love how Paul closes this verse. Against such things, there is no law. 
Against such things there is no law because it's actually not that difficult to agree that lying, shedding innocent blood, devising wicked schemes are bad things. Kindness, goodness, self-control are good things. That's not that hard to convince somebody of. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. But what about some of the issues that even if they are perfectly clear to us, they are murky at best for someone outside our church? Or maybe people who are coming to our church just discovering who Jesus is. Uh, boy, a great example these days in church is marriage. Marriage is one of those topics. We believe wholeheartedly at this church. Marriage says, it's, uh, the Bible says that marriage is supposed to be between a man and a woman. It's established in Genesis, reiterated in Matthew 19. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We also believe that sex outside of marriage in any way is against what the Bible says. That's Hebrews 13. One sin is not worse than the other, although there may be different consequences for different actions. That's not really what we're talking about today, but that's just an example of something that can be a little murky for people. So how do we reconcile ourselves with this verse, hate what is evil, cling to what is good? If someone in our church, in our midst, in our home, uh, they just don't believe it. Or maybe they do believe it, but man, they are struggling to live it. How do we reconcile ourselves with that? How do we still love sincerely but also hate what is evil and cling to what is good? Well, I'd submit to you the way that we do it is that we don't read verse 9 without reading verse 10. You see, friends, who we are is people who are marked by the love of Jesus. And we are marked by the love of Jesus when we are devoted to and honor one another. Look what verse 10 goes on to say. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another another above yourselves. I love the way that ESV puts this, actually outdo one another in showing honor. If you're going to try and outdo anyone at anything, have it be showing honor. We really love uh, in the church to cherry pick verses sometimes. You know, just, boy, I like this one. I'm going to put it in my pocket, and I don't like that one, so no thanks. But I don't think you can read verse 9 without reading verse 10. And notice, uh, man, this is one of the hardest things about the Bible for me sometimes. Notice there's no qualification here. Paul does not say to be devoted to one another and honor one another, but only as long as they agree with you. Find the people that agree with you and be devoted to them. You see, something we have to remember is this phrase we've quoted before. I didn't come up with it. That is, if we're loving with sincerity in our church, it's possible for someone to belong before they believe. It is possible for someone to feel loved, even if they disagree with everything we stand for. Something drew them to this place. It's because we're marked by the love of Jesus. Now, whether we agree or disagree about politics, marriage, baseball team, go Dodgers 12 and a half games up, just in case you need to know. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> Most reliable car types, right? That's a big one. I've seen some pretty heated arguments over pretty silly stuff. I have been in pretty heated arguments over pretty silly stuff. Classic time. I was... Uh, I think it was my third year, third summer at college. I had stayed in Seattle for the year, and I went to live with my friend Jeremy, also a diehard baseball fan. I'm a Dodgers fan. He's a Mariners fan. I disliked the Mariners severely. Sorry. We can still be friends. Pastor Chase and I are good friends. He loves the Mariners. It's okay. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. Um, so at the time, nowadays they have this thing called interleague play where the Dodgers and the Mariners, they actually play in a few weeks. Back then, they never played unless it was a World Series. Mariners never been to the World Series, so, I mean, at that time, it was not a, not a problem. But my friend Jeremy and I, it's like 1 o'clock in the morning. We, we live downstairs. His parents lived upstairs. And we're down there, and we're in this heated argument about whether the Dodgers' bullpen is better or the Mariners' bullpen is better. And his mom came down and was like, be quiet. You're waking up the entire house. It was really silly because they never played each other. They're not even in the same league, right? We get in heated arguments about stuff that doesn't matter. What Paul is telling us is that within our community, we should honor everyone that is in our midst. Honor everyone that's in our midst, in our sanctuary, in our home, coffee shop where we meet. And that doesn't mean that we affirm sin, not for even a minute. But I would submit to you today that God can do a fine job of convicting people of sin through his Holy Spirit. And he doesn't have to use me to do it. He can if he wants. God may speak to someone's heart or he may give you words to speak to people who are struggling with sin. But my experience, and I've seen this over and over again, is that hearts tend to be soft when a relationship is built first. Hearts tend to be soft when it's over a cup of coffee or a dinner table. Or... Friends, we're marked by the love of Jesus when we are devoted to one another, regardless. Paul continues on in verse 11. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. NLT translates this verse, never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Friends, we are marked by the love of Jesus when we serve God together. This is something I believe has seen so clearly in our church, and I believe it will be in our community groups, already is, in everything we do. I believe that there is some power, though, in what is not said by Paul here. Just like there was no qualifications as far as who we are supposed to be devoted to, who we're supposed to honor, there is not any qualification on when to work hard. It's just simply what we're supposed to do. You don't work hard at serving the Lord like when you feel good, everything's happy. It's just what we're supposed to do. But there's two different parts uh, of serving God with zeal. There's the initial excitement, the initial burst of energy. There's even what you feel when you come to church. Everyone's here and you're singing the songs. And there's the ability to continue day after day. And there's no coffee and there's no band to sing songs. And there's no one bringing you free donut holes. Both of those uh, are zeal. Serving God every day, morning and night, and at church when it's exciting. I believe with all my heart, friends, and I've seen it borne out in my life, the lives of many others over the years, that God did not design us to do life on our own. He didn't make you to do it by yourself. And when it comes to our church, our community groups, there's so much power when we are able to work hard and serve the Lord, but also do it together. See, as you're going to always see when it comes to our community groups, life is better together. It's not just me saying this. Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes 4.12, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, the Bible says, says this, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. It's one of the reasons it's vital that we always pursue community 
at our church, it's because three people together are infinitely stronger than one person by themselves. You are stronger if you have other people beside you. Now, the thing is, when we are alone, when we're going through things alone, we start to see and think things that aren't true. Man, when we're doing it by ourselves, we start to believe, man, there's no one that struggles like I do. There's no one that's ever struggled with this sin that I'm struggling with. There's no one that's ever struggled like I do. When we do life by ourselves, we start to believe there's no one who faces fear every day like I do. There's no one who is afraid to get up and go out the front door in the morning like me. When we do life by ourselves, we start to believe there's no one who cares whether we succeed or not. And to tell the truth, where the enemy wants you to be is alone. We're much easier to pick off, much, much easier to get when we don't have anybody standing with us watching our back. When we don't have anyone looking out for us. It's not that uh, we never struggle when we have community in the body of Christ. But we have a great chance coming out the other side when someone is walking with us. A couple years ago, all of us experienced this thing called COVID together, right? No matter how you felt about it, it was a massive disruption to everybody's life. I'll tell you this, to our boys, it was kind of a blip on the radar. Uh, You know, it was a couple years ago, so they were much younger, two years younger. Uh, The reason is it was kind of a blip on our radar. It's because of a group, just like we're talking about today. Uh, You know, we were in Q&A at the time, but, you know, just like everybody else that was lockdowns and masks and all, all the stuff. You know all about it. We don't have to rehash it. But uh, we had this, uh, we called them life groups at our last church that we had started. I had helped start them there. And uh, we went to this one with this family called the Thomases. And the Thomases had two little girls, uh, Ryan and Acacia. And uh, Robert's in the Army. And um, uh, we, you know, had been going to their life group and uh, awesome people. And uh, when COVID started, right, I mean, I was working at the church, and Chandra was working tons of hours at her accounting firm, and uh, I had the boys with me all the time. And uh, sometimes, though, I had stuff I had to do for the church. We were working on streaming and helping other churches stream, all sorts of good stuff. The reason it was a blip on the radar for our boys is because we had some close friends we had gained in the Thomases. And, you know, we had a lot of common ground with them on stuff. We knew where they stood on things. They knew where we stood. And when I needed somewhere to take the boys, when Shauna needed somewhere to take the boys, uh, she could take them over to the Thomas's house. When the Thomases needed somewhere to bring Acacia and Araya, they would bring them to our house. And I got picture after picture after picture of the four of them, like, wandering around doing the silliest stuff that little kids do. But it was a blip on the radar to our boys because they had some community. Chandra and the boys are actually going to see them. They, they live down in Twin now, going to see them after church today. Reason it was a blip, even though it was the biggest disruption any of us have ever seen, is because of a group like we're talking about today. Friends, we are to serve God with zeal. At first, when it's exciting, and in the long run. And we're marked by the love of Jesus when we serve God with zeal and we do it together. Finally, there's this beautiful verse uh, you're going to hear us talk about all the time. This is the heart of what happens here on Wednesdays and Sundays, heartbeat of our community and our, our church as it goes forward. Verse 12 says this, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. We just read about the three-fold strand that's not easily broken. Well, these three things will make up that strand. When we're marked by the love of Jesus, 
joy and patience, faithfulness and prayer, they're evident. The first thing we do is we rejoice with others in the hope that we have in Jesus. When you got nothing else, but you can come together with other people and you can rejoice in what you have in Jesus. When things are going well and it's really obvious the Lord is moving, we are joyful with one another. There's nothing better when that's happening than walking alongside someone else, sharing in their joy, them sharing in your joy. And my experience, friends, is that hope is contagious. When you spend other time with people who have hope in their heart, it tends to rub off on you a little bit. You can't spend time with hopeful and joyful people of the joy of the Lord and not have it rub off on you. Next, we are patient when others are in trouble. When it comes to having someone alongside you when you're facing trouble in your health or your finances or your family, and we will all face it at some points in our lives, you don't know how much you need a patient brother or sister in Christ to walk you through it until you're right in the middle of it. You think you're fine by yourself until you find yourself far from shore, and you're like, how am I going to get back? And there's nothing more welcome than a patient friend when you're in trouble. All of us at some point in our lives hopefully will be the patient friend for somebody. And we will all be the one who needs the patient friend. I believe God's heart is that we find that in our church and in our community groups. Finally, we're faithful in prayer. I said a moment ago, there's nothing more welcome than a patient friend where you're in trouble, where there's nothing more needed in our lives each day than people who we know are faithful in prayer. There's nothing that's needed more than people who will pray for you. You see, when we pray and we pray with others and we do it often, it bends our heart towards God's heart. If you've been here Wednesday nights when we pray together, we take time for prayer requests and we talk about what God has done, we kind of do go old school and we take praise reports, that's what we call them, testimonies, whatever. Man, it's so awesome to hear people speak about the prayers God has answered that we've, we've prayed about in this place. You know, there's power in prayer that we can't explain. In our community, friends, we are to keep praying, as NLT says. Keep on praying. See, friends, we as Engage Boise, in this room, in your houses, in coffee shop, whatever, we are marked by the love of Jesus when we rejoice in hope. We're patient in trouble. We keep on praying. And those three things are weaved together. And they protect us when the going gets tough. And these three verses we just read, they just, they enable us to just naturally do uh, what verse 13 says. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Simple as that. Share with the Lord's people in need. Practice hospitality. When we've got a group of people uh, within which there is sincere love. When we're devoted to one another despite our differences. When we are committed to being the cord of three strands, and our heart is simply to serve each other and to serve others. We're actually going to unpack that verse about serving a little more uh, in a few weeks. We try hard to, as a church to serve others in our community. I believe when we do those things, our groups can be especially powerful. And we've said throughout this morning, there's true community at this church at Engage Boise. We already do this on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. But I believe it is for more than just us. More than, for more than just the 70, 80, 90 people that walk into this place each week. I believe with all my heart that as we prepare and minister well, that God will bring others to become a part of the community of believers here. 
just as he has already been doing in our church as a whole, in our community groups. Uh, we'll officially launch them in October. Uh, some, some of them are already happening. We just haven't advertised it very well yet. But I believe God is calling some of you to think about starting or leading one of these groups. Maybe this is the first time you've ever thought or heard about it. They are and they will be based around the idea that God did not design us to do life by ourselves. We're planning on having an easy way to keep them organized as far as when they are, where they are. But what has to happen before any of that is God has to call people to lead them. And this morning as, we walk, as you walk out, there's a clipboard out there uh, on the counter in the lobby for you to write your name on if you feel like God might be directing you in this way. And we need groups of all kinds because all of us uh, are made to not do life alone, youngest to oldest. We need groups for people that are married and not married, young and old, meeting every week, meeting less often, meeting at home, meeting at the coffee shop. The goal, friends, for me is that no person that comes to Engage Boise doesn't have a group of people they connect with that applies to them. Now, that might be helping in kids' ministry or helping in worship or helping in tech or going to a community group or whatever. But I believe community groups are going to help us continue to move forward. Writing your name down on a list out there does not commit you. You're not, you know, committed for three years. We're never letting you out of it. Writing your name down also does not guarantee anything. We'll look to see what we have and, and we'll go from there. There's some of you here, friends, and I believe this, and I've seen this over and over in 20 years of working in churches. There's some of you here who can minister and relate to people in a way that I cannot. There's things you can say and pray and do and know that I just can't do. And there's things I can say and pray and do that you can't do. It's the way God made us. People may like our Sunday service, but you are more equipped to do life with them than I am. Because I'll tell you this, I can only text and call so many people. Pretty soon the phone battery dies. Or I forget something, right? Like I said, I believe there's more than just the 80 or 90 people here today that God will bring in uh, to community here this year. I just encourage you, prepare yourself today to rejoice in hope together. Be patient in trouble together. And keep on praying for each other. Zach's going to lead us in a song in a minute. Uh, I just would encourage you. Uh, to stand and sing it and allow God to move upon your heart. But for a minute, would you bow your heads? Uh, just want you to know uh, you've been hearing us talk about Jesus and God. And if you don't know Jesus today, um, you have the opportunity to do that today. Way back at the beginning, I talked about being a son or daughter of God. And if that sounds awesome to you and you, you don't know Jesus, you just need to know this. God created us. He made us to be his children. And our sin separates us from him. There's not a single good thing we can do to remove our sin from ourselves. But Jesus paid the price for our sin, and he did that uh, by rising again. And your life with Jesus can begin today. Word of God says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This morning as we get ready to sing, you can do that quietly in your heart. Just say, God, I give my life to you. I call upon your name. Or as we sing, I'm going to stand down here. If you need to come pray with me to give your life to the Lord, I'd love to pray with you, agree with you today. Lord Jesus, thank you for your people. Thank you that your word is sharp as a two-edged sword. It's alive in us today. 
pray as we sing that you would call your people to you. Lord, for those that have never considered leading a group, hosting a group, anything like that, I pray you would uh, just begin a dream in their heart today. Lord, that you would lead us and direct us to all the right people and places and times. Lord, we trust you uh, to continue to uh, build community in this place. Would you stand with me this morning, friends, as we sing? Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more, you can visit us at engageboise.com. Have an amazing day.